What's up everybody, Genix Dividend Investor here. In this video I tell you why it takes 66 days to become a dividend investor. So if you appreciate dividend videos like this then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet and click that bell notification. To kick things off, I wanted to share that I'm heading to New York City with my family for a week, which means I'll miss my next Saturday video upload. While there we plan to catch a Broadway play, meet up with an old college buddy of mine and do some touristy things, but feel free to jump on my dividend discord if you want to chat with me, as I still plan to be on there. Okay, so what is a dividend investor? Is it just someone who buys a stock that pays a dividend? Maybe, but I think to consider yourself a true dividend investor takes more than that. Clearly a dividend investor is someone that focuses on building an investment portfolio using stocks that pay dividends, but I think a key component that is missing from that description is time. Like at a minimum, you probably need to have actually gotten some dividends before you can truly call yourself a dividend investor. Or perhaps you become a dividend investor when you really commit to it. A 2009 study published in the European Journal of Social Psychology found that it takes 18 to 254 days for a person to form a habit, aka a routine of behavior that is repeated regularly. That being said, on average they found that it takes 66 days to make something a habit. I say that for you to truly call yourself a dividend investor, then you need to turn your investing into a habit. Some habits are easier to adopt, like drinking more water every day, whereas others are more difficult, like doing 100 sit-ups a day. And obviously, the more difficult something is, the less likely that you'll continue doing it. And the more you deviate from doing something, the further away from your goals you go. Speaking of deviating, how much do you think you can deviate from one of your habits before it's detrimental? Like let's say you start investing 10% of your weekly take-home pay into stocks, but then one week you spend your investment cash on a video game instead. Will breaking your plan, your habit you were forming, screw you over? If you're trying to lose weight and you splurge on a large pizza once, is your game plan blown? Fortunately no, as the 2009 study concluded that a small misstep like that won't materially reduce your chances of forming a habit. Now some people take intrinsically longer to form a habit relative to others, suggesting that some people are habit resistant. Is dividend investing a difficult habit to form? I mean, what makes people stop investing or not even start in the first place? Well, one big reason people don't start is because they feel that the amount they have to invest is just too small to be worth it. I get it. You start from zero and let's say you have 100 bucks to invest. You've heard SCHD is a decent dividend ETF, so you look at it and you see it's at a 3.3% yield. That means your $100 invested would yield you only $3.30 in the first year, and since it pays four times a year, that means your investment would pay you a whopping $0.82 cents a quarter. $0.82? Cents? Why even invest if that's all you're going to get? And unfortunately, that kind of thinking is what stops a lot of people from investing long enough for it to become a habit. Another hurdle to invest is if you care more about what your friends think than what you think. Like maybe you tell your buddy that you're pretty stoked because you started investing in dividends, and your first one is going to be $0.82. Cents. Do you think your friend would laugh at you? If they did, would that influence you maybe to not do it? Do you think you would laugh if you were making 10 bucks a year? What about 100? 1,000? 10,000? My point is that another reason that some people can't stay on the path of dividend investing is because they care too much about what others think. Maybe it turns you off when you hear people say that dividend investing is for boomers, or that dividend stocks are all boring. If others' opinions matter more than your own, you're SOL. Okay, another big reason people fall off the dividend wagon before it becomes a recurring habit for them is if there's someone who quits investing as soon as their stocks fall. Maybe they enter the market with trepidation, not wanting to lose their hard-earned cash, and then the second something goes down, they say no thank you and they sell and walk away. Those people would rather invest in super unrisky things that have more guaranteed returns, even if those returns are so small that they might lose out to inflation. Things like savings accounts or CDs or treasuries or something like that. 
The people who can deal with market fluctuations and keep moving forward, even if things are painful for a while, well, they're the ones that can become dividend investors. The longer you invest, the stronger your conviction tends to get. Data from the 2012 National Financial Capability Study indicate that only 33% of U.S. households own taxable investment accounts. Charles Stanley Investment Management found that only 35% of people who start investing end up sticking with it. So if I had to guess, then I'd say that less than 10% of adult Americans open and then stick with investing in a taxable account. Here's a list of investment accounts based on generation. So the blue shaded area is taxable accounts, and we see that 22% of millennials have taxable accounts. Then 29% of my generation has a taxable account, then 39% of boomers, and 53% of the silent generation. Thus, the older you get, the more likely you are to have a taxable brokerage account. Conversely, having no investing accounts is the off-green color, so 55% of millennials have no brokerage account, down to only 21% of the silent generation that doesn't have any. And then as you'd expect, the higher your household income, the higher the likelihood of owning a taxable account. Like only 9% of households have a taxable account when their income is less than 25k a year, all the way up to 75% that make 150k plus a year. Of course, having a taxable account and then investing in it forever are different things. So why do people start and then quit? Well, Charles Stanley found that out of quitters, 40% said that one of the reasons was because they were concerned about market volatility and felt it was just too risky to keep investing. 32% said their investments weren't performing as well as they wanted nor they were losing money. 20% of people quit because they said they couldn't keep on top of all the data that was around investing. And 14% said they quit because they found investing to be too time consuming. The reality is if you want a monstrous dividend snowball, then you gotta master your emotions and fears. You have to overcome the fact that your stocks don't always perform like you thought they should. You gotta learn how to stay the course, deal with all the slings and arrows, and maybe spend more time on improving your financial literacy than you do on Netflix or World of Warcraft. Trust me, in 20 years you won't care if you got that best in slot piece of gear, but you will care if you stopped investing. Charles Stanley's study also found that even those that did invest were often not confident in their actions. Like 26% said they didn't understand risk enough in order to minimize their chances of losing money, and 51% worried that they might be making bad investments. There were gender differences as well, with 31% of women choosing not to invest because they had no idea where to begin, compared with 20% of men who said the same. 16% of women thought financial terminology was too confusing, compared with 10% of men. So if you feel like you don't understand things enough to invest, then just keep learning. Watch YouTube, read books, etc. I have a few investing books on Amazon in the description of this video that you might find useful. As an Amazon associate, I earned from qualifying purchases. Anyways, that Charles Stanley study also asked investors what would help them improve their understanding of saving and investing options. 38% said the simplification or removal of financial jargon would help. 34% wanted more financial education in schools. 20% wanted far more communication from firms. And 18% wanted financial education from their employers. It turns out you're about twice as likely to have a taxable account if you're someone who works on enhancing their financial education as compared to someone who doesn't. Anyways, a goal I think you should strive for is to build a portfolio that lets you sleep well at night. Like if you're sitting in bed and you find yourself stressed about your investments, then maybe the companies you went with aren't ideal. Maybe you went after a yield that was too risky. All of those types of things can get in your own way, preventing you from becoming and remaining a dividend investor. Buy and hold is easy to say, but very hard for most people to actually do. When times are good, sure, it's easy. But when things are going south, then emotions can get in the way of logic. And the bigger losses get, the more people get shaken off the dividend train. In my experiences, the big losses come from the riskiest bets. Like if you're in crypto, then you better be prepared for a wild ride. 
And if you aren't okay with tons of volatility, then downshift into less risky things. Consider companies like Coke or McDonald's. They'll probably lose a lot less than that new altcoin, or that IPO, or that SPAC, or whatever. But they can still lose. If your stocks are too volatile for you, then do what I do and invest in low beta stocks, which should increase the likelihood that you'll have smaller price swings in your investments. Look, lots of things are out there to stop you from your financial goals. Like some folks feel investing is rigged. Is it? Well, big players can definitely influence and move the markets more than you or I. But can you still do well? Of course. You win by trying, learning, and moving forward. An investment analyst at Charles Stanley said, the most important thing is to take a long-term view. Volatility is an inevitable part of investing, and it can be very scary when the markets fall. A common mistake is to sell when that happens due to fear, which can be the worst thing to do. Investors must be prepared to hold their nerve and ride the ups and downs. Keeping invested is usually the best strategy. Historical evidence shows that if you invest for a 10-year period, there's around a 90% chance of beating the return on cash savings when investing in global stock markets. Another reason why investors don't make it long enough for the habit of investing to take hold is when they've lost confidence in the future. Like maybe they're worried the dollar will crumble and countries will no longer consider it the reserve currency. Maybe they've heard Ray Dalio's thoughts about how the American empire is falling and the next inevitability is a crumbling economy and that will lead to a crumbling stock market. Could that happen? Sure, anything could happen. I mean, take a look at this consumer sentiment index that the University of Michigan recently did. It's around a 50-year low right now. I wonder what sorts of products do better when sentiment is down. I'm guessing vices like smoking and drinking and gambling, fast food and stuff like that. Now this chart does show a slight reversal to the upside recently, perhaps because inflation has been slowly improving, but it's still at an ugly low point, and that sometimes means fear, which often means the market isn't going to get too much love. Lots of fear can mean lots of selling pressure, but then again it's the market and it could always do what you don't expect. Now, a mistake a lot of investors make is chasing the crowd. Like they sit on the sidelines as something shoots up, and eventually they decide they gotta get on the gravy train, which is often when things turn around, i.e. when tons of people FOMO in. They hold on for a while as things drop, 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 and finally they just gotta get out, usually right before things bottom and start heading back up again. There's a story about this guy who dodged the stock market crash of 1929 because a shoeshine boy gave him a stock tip and he figured that if the shoeshine boys were buying stocks, there was no one left to put more money into the market to push it higher, so he sold out completely. The point is be careful chasing the crowd. Oftentimes, the more fear in the market, the better it gets to buy. Not always, of course. Things can be bad for a long time, over a decade, so never assume anything is guaranteed with investing. Some of you might have witnessed your parents suffering through years of crappy returns when you were a kid. That alone could cause you to avoid the markets. Ultimately, you want to be someone who doesn't get excited by following the crowd, nor excited by being a contrarian. You want to be someone who researches stuff and then executes based on logic, regardless of what others are doing. And then you need to keep at it for long enough for it to become a habit. A habit that is entrenched in your psyche enough that you don't have fear. But that doesn't mean you get cocky either. One of my favorite parallels to investing is working out. People start going to the gym with different goals in mind. Some people want to get muscular, some want to lower their body fat, some people just want to get healthier, etc. Investing is the same way. There are lots of different goals. Usually people join the gym and are excited to be taking action, but many of them peter out. They don't stick around working out long enough for it to become a lifestyle habit they do for the rest of their lives. Too many things can come up that can cause them to quit. Or get lazy. Maybe it's too cold to go to the gym. Maybe it's too rainy. Or they're just too tired. Maybe Netflix seems more compelling. There are so many reasons why people can't keep their fitness and health goals. But for the minority of people who are serious about learning, 
putting in the time, resting, working out, eating right, well, those are the ones that'll see the biggest gains. As Jim Ryan said, motivation is what gets you started, habit is what keeps you going. You need to have enough commitment that your investing becomes a habit. The more you persist, the more you jump over the hurdles, the more you get back on the horse if you get knocked off, well, the more your commitment to dividend investing will solidify and the more your resolve will be hardened, all of which will increase the likelihood that you'll stay the course. Each person is unique. Maybe it'll take you multiple quarters to get enough inertia with your investing to keep true to it. Sometimes things outside of your control can cause you to stop. Like maybe some health expense hits you out of the blue, and maybe your best way forward is to sell your dividend stocks and come back to them in the future. That's life. And while I encourage you to resist normal urges to liquidate your portfolio, also realize that in the end you sometimes have to take some steps back to ultimately step forward again. So a few key takeaways are, it will take you a while to form that investing habit. Don't stress out when you make investing mistakes. Everyone who invests eventually makes mistakes. But do try to enjoy the journey and the fact that you're doing the right thing for your long-term financial health. Embrace the process of investing and commit to it. Doesn't matter if it takes you 66 days or 365 days to get in the groove. The bottom line is you have to put in the work either way if you want the sweet passive income. Dividends are simply the best form of passive income I've ever come across, which is why I love them so much. Some people really love real estate, and I encourage people to give that a try as well, but it's far from passive, even if you have a property manager. That reminds me of this article I just saw on MarketWatch about a retired guy who was asking what he should do. He said, I'm a 65-year-old married man in Southern California. I retired about five years ago and have pension payments of about $2,000 for my old job without any medical benefits. I also have rental income from about a dozen single-family homes that I collected during my professional career as a civil engineer. Some of these homes have mortgages and others are free and clear. I currently manage and maintain all of them myself. And even though I'm retired, it feels like I'm holding two full-time jobs, that of a handyman and a bookkeeper. I'm still able to do them for now, but looking ahead five to ten years, I'm not sure if I'll still be able to. So my question is, what are my options with these homes? Should I sell? Should I consolidate the single-family homes? And how can I make it such that they can give me good income to help me in my retirement and free up my time so that I can really enjoy my retirement? That article explains some of the reasons why I prefer dividends and REITs over physical real estate. MarketWatch wrote back saying that it's hard to keep track of tenants, track rent payments, keep up on maintenance, insurance and mortgage costs, and so many other things. So why not hire a property manager or someone who's experienced at doing that sort of thing for a living? That definitely would help. Of course, you lose some of your profits doing that, and the property manager would still need to get your approval and money for buying new AC units or putting on a new roof or whatever, as well as we'll have to inform you of issues that might be happening. And unfortunately, you'll still own the liability risk on your properties, and you can still be hauled into court and sued for whatever someone wants. I looked over the comments on the article, and most people with real estate said similar things. Like the first person wrote, I own only three properties, two residential and one vacation. It's not as easy as outsiders believe. There's usually a reason people need to rent, and it's not typically because they make too much money or they are too intelligent to purchase their own home. People skip town on the residential properties and steal light bulbs, towels, and pillows from their vacation rental. I am lenient on dates, but once people fall behind they almost never catch up. So either I take a single mother to court over unpaid rent or I just eat it. People steal, skip town, or willfully damage your property because they think you as a landlord are rich and that makes them entitled to rob you. It's not everybody, or even the majority, but enough to make the game exhausting over time. You also wonder about each and every person, wondering if this will be a good one or a bad one. When I retire at the age of 137, I'll probably just place whatever equity is left over in a route or a REIT. 4-5% dividends with no more sob stories and late payments and appliance problems sounds pretty good. 
The next commenter wrote, Rental income may be called passive, but it involves work. Another commenter wrote, As you age from 65, even if you're in good health, each year you will become less and less able to do mental and physical tasks. Your health also tends to deteriorate as you get older. Also, you become less and less inclined towards work of any kind. So their point was that managing real estate becomes challenging, whereas dividends are mostly autopilot. Still, real estate can be awesome if you put systems in place and are okay with the pros and cons, so I'm not dogging it. I'm just saying dividends are true passive income. And it might take a while before you become a true dividend investor, and it will take even longer for your snowball to get prolific, but if you can just persist, then I'm confident you will love it in the long run. And with that, I'd like to shout out my newest Patreon aristocrats who have signed up since my last video. So thank yous go out to Kagan, Bear55, Maxine P, Jojos, and Bicycle Bill. I'd also like to thank a few people who signed up for an entire year, getting them a 10% discount, including Diamond in the Rough, Skyboy, Trogdor, Seaward, and Orlando T, who just upgraded for an entire year. Aristocrats gain access to my Dividend Portfolio Tracker Spreadsheet, which I use in lots of my videos, and they get special access to various private channels on my Discord, including one which lets you watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as lets you vote on which thumbnail I should use, and of course you get more direct access to me. They also get a shout-out, as you just heard, and I add them to my scrolling news tickers on my videos. Kings get everything Aristocrats get, plus we can do monthly 30-minute private voice chats to talk about whatever you want. Finally, I urge everyone to join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it from around the world. Regardless of what you do, please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click the bell notification. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.